0: Welcome to the Wellstack Podcast. I'm your host, Shannon Rosick, the Director of Wellstack Content and Solutions. And this episode, I'm joined by Don Nilsen, Chief Product Officer at Adipar. And today's topic, why having the right technology, data tools, and perspective are more important than ever to navigate volatility in a dynamic risk landscape. A lot to cover there. So Don, thanks so much for joining me.
1: Thanks very much for having me, Shannon. Delighted to be here.
0: Of course. And I always joke that I like to start with the hardest question first uh, because it's about you. So I want to start with your background and really set the stage here, both personally and professionally. You know, I saw that you spent over two decades at FactSet. You know, let's start there. How did this love for product development happen with you?
1: Uh, well, it definitely started at FactSet. Um, so, yeah, I, I w- spent the majority of my career at FactSet. I was there for 23 years. Um, I was employee number 150, and when I joined, Factset had just opened their first office outside the U.S. So they had opened an office in London and one in Tokyo. And one of the one of the things that was very important to clients in Europe was macroeconomic analysis and data, and it wasn't something that Factset did at the time. So I was tasked with going and meeting with clients all over Europe and all over Asia to better understand. So I'm meeting with a lot of economists, strategists, that sort of thing. But because it was so, I mean, A, that was great. And I got to, you know, talk to a lot of different firms and clients about their challenges and what worked well about their existing systems and what they wish they had better. But then because Paxit was such a small company at the time, um there there wasn't actually even a product development department so oh, wow. i would come back from my travels i would sit with engineering and you know i guess i was serving the function of product development at the same time so that was sort of how i i got into it but you know my love for it was was really talking to talking to clients about their challenges and then building, and I always like to build stuff. So building solutions that then solve like meaningful problems. And then you see that, you know, the solutions that you're building then become like a must have to help them do their jobs. I I just, I love that. And so, you know, I, I was hooked from that point. So I wore a lot of hats when I first got there, but we eventually actually like established a product development department and we built all that organically. But I'll just say every single time we put out new software, it never gets old. So I'm constantly looking forward to the next thing that we're building. It's a little bit like living in the future because I'm, I'm always focused on the next thing. But you know, when you see things that you build, make someone's, uh, make them more efficient, make them better at their job, help them make better decisions, particularly in our industry, helping people make better investment decisions, you know, that's super meaningful and um i just i get a ton of satisfaction out of it
0: i was going to say it sounds like there is a high satisfaction rate at least in this type of role so what ultimately made you move from faxet to par then anything that surprised you or lessons you carried over into this current role now
1: yeah the reason i ultimately that like i said i was employee number 150 the the company was actually private at the time it went public shortly after i joined it was an awesome journey, right? Like I said, I got to wear a lot of different hats. Which I get asked this by interns that come in to like career advice. It's like, don't necessarily. Everything doesn't always go to plan. So I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I got to, you know, I was actually writing QA algorithms for a while because um, I was a heavy stats background. I actually spent some time in sales. Like I said, like going and visiting clients and everything. But you know, over time, realized product what I wanted to do. The company grew, I want to say it was like 50 million in revenue when I was first there, and it was well north of a billion by the time I left. So, you know, being able to be part of that journey was awesome, especially like, you know, watching a company grow from a largely US company to a global company, Uh, worked with a lot of very smart people, um, and some of whom are my best friends today. But, you know, at some point, by the time time I decided to leave, it was about 12,000 employees, something like that. Um, so I had just reached a point where I thought that was amazing. That was a lot of fun, but it would be even more fun to do it again. And from a very different vantage point, I mean, when I joined FactSet, I was 25 years old, I'm well, well past that. And so now being able to join a company like Adapar where, you know, it's, it's, it's similar. It was similar in size, maybe a little bit bigger when I first got here but now being able to, and you asked the question, like now being able to like be in my seat now and sort of apply all the things I learned over the years. And yes, there's uh, a lot of pattern matching that's going on. You know, like most of the time I'm like, yes, we ran into this problem. You know, the, the the sort of the the growth pains of from being a startup to then being in, in growth mode, it, it's very, very similar. So it's And that's true of our, our CTO that came in from BlackRock. You know, it's the same thing. So he and I are constantly like, yeah, I, I think we've seen this before. Here's how we need to navigate it. And, you know, like I said, being able to do it once was great, but being able to do it twice and from like this different vantage point is great. And, you know, being able to impart those learnings to, uh, you know, our people that are younger in their career uh, at, at Atapar is, is uh, also very rewarding.
0: That's fantastic. And to go through it twice is pretty incredible. So congrats to being on basically two rocket ships <laughs> throughout your career. Um, and you did say something interesting. And I have to laugh that you said you have a heavy stats background because that is a perfect segue into our first segment that I affectionately call Stats All Folks. So I'm going to throw a few numbers out at you and have a few questions around them uh, to get the conversation going. So there's a few in here so bear with me but IATE's vendor community estimates the current RA market adoption of sophisticated portfolio management reporting systems at around anywhere from about 40 to 60%. So out of the say almost 24,000 RAs in the market That leaves about 9,000 to 14,000 using very basic tools. So over the last 20 years, there's obviously been this fundamental shift in technology that advisors use to support their investment activities, you know, between massive growth and rebalancing tools alongside the rise of performance reporting software. We've kind of seen those two categories kind of merge and consolidate, really. So -hmm. I have two questions for you here. You know, based on those numbers, are you hopeful that adoption rates will increase when it comes to you know portfolio management systems. And how have strategic initiatives like acquiring Advisor Peak, for example, benefited at a par and its clients? So bit loaded there. So <laughs> run with
1: it. <laughs> All right, let me take a swing at that. So I guess I wouldn't use the term hopeful. I, I feel like it's a certainty. I right? so you know, I think for the for the folks that aren't using more sophisticated tools today. And you're right. we see a ton of that in the U.S. It's even more so. I should have mentioned before, but one of the other things that's very similar to my to my prior experience, um, we've now started to expand internationally as well. We opened up our office in Edinburgh during COVID, which was kind of interesting. We've now opened an office in Pune, India, and we have a sales office in the U.K. And I bring that up because. The the stats that you were that you were quoting that's U.S. It's equally true if not more so once you get outside the U.S. And what we see is there's still people running and and trying to manage a lot of money in Excel, um. And you know that just it doesn't scale. Um. Now, if you compound, if you compound that with the wealth transfer, that's another thing that, you know, we talk about. It's not like it might happen. I mean, that's an absolute certainty. Um. So that's well underway. And as you have wealth transferring to a younger generation that have much higher expectations about technology, then that's why I say, I don't think it's like a maybe it's going to happen. I think it has to happen because I don't think that you're going to be able to compete with, you know, managing someone's money in Excel and not being able to provide, you know, not only like the highest quality reporting. For each of those individuals, but also you know, much more tech forward solutions, whether they're you know portal applications that you'd use on your desktop, or whether that's you know mobile applications, the expectations there are only going to keep getting greater. So that's why, from my perspective, I don't see how it doesn't happen. I think it's it's happening and it's happening very quickly. And sorry, I, I, I want to the second half of that question.
0: <laughs> no, no worries. No, I was just I was asking about you know the strategic initiatives, you know, Adapar has been very particular in who they acquire. So for example, Advisor Peak, you know, how has an acquisition like that benefited Adapar and also the end clients?
1: Uh, yeah, so I'm glad you asked. And I guess one step back on that, one of the things that's really important from my perspective is we're an open platform. Um, and And that's important for a, a bunch of different reasons. Number one, we don't want to try to be all things to all people. I can say, you know, one certainly one lesson learned over the years is you can't do everything well. Um, you really need to try to decide what's your core competency, what, you know, what are you going to, you know, really focus your attention on, and then, you know, rely on partners um, to be able to, you know, stitch together the ultimate end-to-end tech stack that somebody wants. So for us, I mean, a good example of that is like CRMs, right? We don't intend on building a CRM. We have a number of different partners for that. And so we have a whole category of partners. Now, Advisor Peak was in our partner program before we made that acquisition, as well as um, a few other trading and rebalancing partners. So one of the nice things about our partner program is We sort of like we get to see our clients, you know, and and whether they are adopting those solutions, we start to get feedback on it. As those things really start to get adoption, we're obviously working closely with them because we have to sort of partner to build the integration. And through that process, then we get to see what's really resonating with clients. Super important aspect of it is the culture of of that partner, because when it comes to M&A, Probably the most important thing is the culture. Um, our culture is is absolutely sacred, so we want to bring in people that are like minded. Um, we have a sign on on all the walls that say "work hard and be nice to people," and I take that very seriously. And the Advisor Peak crew um, fit that to a T. And in you know, so it's worth pointing out before we did the acquisition, we were already in the process of building our own rebalancer, um, and we were doing that because. Like I said, we try to focus on what's you know what we think is makes sense for us to do at Adipar versus rely on partners. Rebalancing happened to be something that we felt is so core and integral to what our clients need that we felt like we could we could do it better. So we started building our own. Then when we met the Advisor Peak guys, we realized we could bring them over, um, not only bring a, a solution over immediately. But they were also working on a next-gen version of their trading platform. So we figured, why not bring the two teams together and and start building the, the next-generation trading platform, uh, which is exactly what we are doing. And that just went out to close beta last month. And then um, it wasn't just Advisor Peak. Actually, before Advisor Peak, we uh, acquired a company called RCI. And that is a similar, everything else I said, except... The, the idea there is 40% of the assets on Adipar's platform of almost it's it's starting to approach $5 trillion in assets. Wow. 40% of the assets on the platform are in alternatives. So our clients are very heavy alts investors. And part of that is, you know, being able to manage pacing models and cash flow projections. So that was another area where we felt if we're going to have 40% of the assets on our platform in alts then we really need to be able to provide those sorts of things natively. It just so happened that the Navigator platform was taken off like crazy with our clients. So we made that acquisition as well. And I think we're north of 130 firms on Navigator now. So it's, uh, it's resonated greatly. So those are the two um, acquisitions that we've done. And like I said, it's, it's all with an eye towards what are the, what are the needs that of our clientele and we spend a lot of time, and we can get into this in a bit. We spend a lot of time talking to our clients. And so, you know, it takes the guesswork out of it from us, but knowing how critical those two different areas and associated workflows were, we decided, okay, let's make those acquisitions. And then we're putting a lot of investment behind both of them to just make them increasingly better month over month.
0: Oh, absolutely. And it's interesting to hear you say how much you actually talk to your clients. And that leads me to think about just transparency and trust, kind of the two T's I would say our industry has notoriously struggled with. So, you know, knowing that that's a focus for you, and I appreciate that a a tech you know, firm is admitting like, no, we're going out to our clients to to ultimately help drive our roadmap. So, you know, how do you see it right now? How is Adapar really helping create that more transparent ecosystem?
1: Well, starting with the roadmap and, and how we work with our clients, one of the first things I did when I got to Adapar and I was in this chair is actually not only revamping how we arrive at our roadmap, and a lot of that was establishing better communication channels with our clients. So we have a we have an array of different outlets for that. We have our client advisory board which is about 25 ish or so of our some of our most influential clients, most of whom are RIAs. We have our Adapro community which is more of our power users. So we have regular meetups in different cities that we do with those folks. And, you know, they're the ones that are like the real power users. So between the two of those, you know, we're getting the the sort of point of view of like strategy wise where these firms want to go from so, sort of our client advisory board. And then I feel like the Adapro group can come in and give us insight into like the day to day, you know, I wish you could make this better, I wish you could make that better. So those were two different things. We also um, created an idea portal. So all of our clients or internals can file their own um, enhancement ideas that they'd like us to pursue. But importantly, even though you can't see who filed the idea, you can see the idea and you can upvote it. So for us, I mean, we'll have ideas sitting there that 200 firms are upvoting and saying, yes, yes, yes. So, it's great from my chair. Like I, I don't need to guess. I mean, I'm more than happy for you to tell me what your, what your challenges are. So that's been, that's been super useful for us. And so with all of that, a big part of the trust and transparency is we then publish our roadmap um, and it's, it's public for all to see. We publish it quarterly and there's a couple of different lenses on it there's a there's sort of a quarterly view that's like super detailed. And you can see like, these are exactly the features that we're gonna deliver over the next three months. And here's why they matter. But then there's also a part of it that goes out 12 to 18 months. And the reason that's, and that has a little bit less fidelity, but that way you know where we're going. And I think it's super important because a lot of our clients are growing super fast themselves. And I think in fairness to them, them knowing where we're going and what problems we're going to be able to solve for them and like roundabout what time is super important. So, and and then the, the the other part as it relates to trust is once we publish that roadmap, we focus on delivering. Um, so it's not to say that things don't get delayed sometimes or sometimes you have to pivot, but I'd like to think that if you're going to publish something, then, you know, that's the plan. That's what we're delivering. It has you have to go a long way to convince me to change the plan once it's out there, because I think that's where you build trust. And so what what me and the the rest of R&D and Richier have been focused on over the nearly four years I've been here is we say what we're going to do and then we do it. And then we also, you know, our development approach is very agile, highly iterative. So another thing, I guess, is we also have a very vibrant beta community so we invite our clients to raise their hands and say do you want to be part of you know our beta programs and then and most of them do and then we sort of develop in partnership with our clients and ultimately i think from a trust perspective i would say you know i don't want our clients to think of us as a vendor right i mean that's not that's not really the angle here you want i want our clients to think of us as an actual partner And so we work together, we get a lot of feedback, you know, in this way, we're not like going off into a cave building something that we think everybody wants, and then come out and hope that it works out. It's more practical, like, okay, here's what we're hearing from our clients, let's get something in front of them, get some feedback, and then we keep going. So I think, you know, that's certainly how we've built, like transparency and trust with our clients. Then I think, you know, there's also the trust factor that, our clients are able to establish with their clients. And that's why they use a system like Adipar, because they want to be able to provide full reporting across the entire wealth of, of each one of these individuals, regardless of the number of custody banks that that is at, regardless of whether it's marketable securities or non-marketable securities, because one of the, the real strengths of Adipar is how flexible our data model is. So, you know, whether it's stocks, bonds, your Ferrari, you know, your art collection, (laughs) your wine collection, but then we're putting a lot of investment into our client portal and our mobile apps, because like I said before, and, and our core reporting platform, because ultimately that's what our, our clients are using to report out to their end clients to provide them transparency and therefore trust in why they've hired this advisor in the first place to, you know, to manage their assets.
0: And obviously, you know, the fastest growing and most resilient RAAs are ultimately relying on modern technology to deliver a differentiated experience and deal with this dynamic landscape that we're seeing right now with all the volatility. So we'd just love to unpack that a little bit and get your take on that and how Adipar is ultimately helping folks navigate this dynamic risk landscape that we're in.
1: Well, one of the beauties of uh, Adipar, like I said, first of all, it all starts with the data if you don't have clean, accurate, timely, complete data, then all the apps in the world that I might build aren't going to matter, right? Yep. So we we very much consider ourselves a data company, Our what we call internally our operating platform, but that's really our data layer. It's where we concentrate the most investment uh, within R&D, and that will always be the case going forward. And Part of the reason for that is the assets on the platform are growing so fast. So we're sort of constantly staying out in front of that and and investing into the operating platform itself from all the variety. I mean, we have uh, feeds from over 300 custody banks, but once that's all on the platform, the data is clean, it's verified every day, then you need to have a very powerful, flexible analytics platform on top of it to be able to interrogate that data six ways to Sunday. So that's really sort of the the, the core capabilities of the system. So advisors and you know the, the the investment professionals at our clients are able to gain insight into that data just because of the pure flexibility of the data model, our attributes, The market data that we're able to to bring onto the platform to further enhance that data and then yes there's the there's the ecosystem of new tools that we're building on top of that so you mentioned risk we have no fewer than five different risk partners on our platform that people use today and so we build tight integrations with those firms so for those that need to do risk analysis we have that Obviously, like we talked about, we have our navigator platform, we have our trading and rebalancing platform. But on top of that data platform, I described, you've basically just got this growing ecosystem of workflow solutions. So, any given tool that our clients need or want to be able to analyze that data, interrogate it, make better decisions, that's really what we're focused on. And we have this, you know, we talk a lot about. When I first got to Adapar, we, we talk about it, um, we use an analogy that it was like a powerful rear, rear view mirror, right? Where you could take your data and you can see like where I was and how I'm doing and where I am today. Um, but what we've been investing in heavily, and Navigator is a great example, is you need to know where you're going. So now it's really like you know the GPS that you need to be able to understand this is where my portfolio is now. Here's what I think the market conditions in various scenarios are and allow stress testing and, and all of that. that's part of Navigator. and what are my cash flow needs going forward and now I have a good view into the future as to where I'm going, which is a lot about managing you know volatility and risk that we've seen. And then I guess one other thing. I mean obviously we had the big spike in volatility recently with you know some of the regional bank issues, SVB um, mm-hmm. and others there was another case where I I feel like from a client centricity standpoint, it suddenly became very apparent to people that they needed to know where their cash was. And suddenly FDIC insurance became a real thing again. In the moment, we actually reached out and we, we set this up on a Sunday, believe it or not, with Plaid to get an integration built. Because I said before, the data is everything. Well, one of the things that was not necessarily easy to get onto the platform were retail accounts um, and cash accounts. And in the absence of that, then you really can't manage things. So that for us was a good example where we're like, okay. And I mentioned before, like we put our roadmap out and then we have to pivot. That's the perfect example of a case where we're like, okay, Plaid wasn't on the roadmap at that particular moment in time, but we decided on a weekend, it's going to find its way onto the roadmap because this has to happen right now. And we were able to turn that integration around in two weeks. In part because the Plaid. yeah, in part because the Plaid team is so so good to work with. Mm-hmm. But you know, I mean, that's why people use Adipar is they're able to get a, a complete view of all of their assets on the platform, and then either because of the tools that we have built or our partners have built, are really able to get uh, the visibility into it that they need. And to be able to make really good, sound investment decisions. And then, of course, convey those to their clients through our reporting, through our portal, through our mobile apps.
0: And for as big as Adipar has gotten, it's very impressive how nimble that you can still be to have an integration like that. And I know Plaid's very good with their open APIs and being able yeah. to plug in very quickly. So yeah. that's really encouraging to hear. And so before we move on to the next segment, then I have to ask, speaking of roadmap, I know you'll be publishing it and from where I sit and where a lot of folks see see Atapar, you've clearly really developed the industry standard for data management, ag- aggregation and analysis and reporting. So at a high level, what else can we expect to see on the roadmap for the next year or two?
1: Well, so the, you know, one of the, this is a very first world problem that we have here, <laughs> but because our R and D department is actually at about four hundred and fifty people now, wow. that's across engineering, product, user experience, our data teams. We have a lot of resources to bring to bear. So I, I guess first things first. We do we're we're super ex- super excited about all like the new things we're building on the roadmap, but I do want to say we continue to put the lion's share of our resources into our core platform um, and into our core reporting. Like it's very important from from, from my seat to make sure that you're, you're, you're constantly investing in the product that everyone is using today, right? And I, I started to get to this before, but when I first got to Adapar, we had roughly a trillion dollars on the platform. It took about eight years to do that. Then it took about two years to get the second trillion. A year to get the third, less than a year to get to the fourth. And so that data gravity, you know, for me, every dollar that comes onto the platform is like bits and bytes of data. And so that's why we invest so much in our operating platform, because you know, if that's five trillion today, as fast as our clients are growing, that'll be 10 trillion pretty soon, 20. So we invest ahead of that. Now, having said all that, I guess it's worth starting with um trading. So uh we just put our uh, next gen um, trading product into closed beta last month um the first thing that we were trying to solve for that was scale um so the existing advisor peak platform is 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 great but if you were trying to you know uh rebalance 10,000 portfolios at once it would start to slow down mm. so one of the first things we did was invest in let's make this like really scale and so it the, with the new one, you could you could rebalance a hundred thousand portfolios as fast as you could a thousand because everything is perfectly paralyzed. So on the trading side, this is going to be it, it's it's multiple things that we're delivering. The first um, iteration is more of a rebalancing capability to model portfolios. But as the year progresses, we will be putting out advanced OMS capabilities. And an investment book of records capability to be able to provide clean t zero data to be able to trade off of that's you know really just greatly enriched data versus what you'd get from the custodians. Ooh, so very exciting. yeah, that's a that's a very big focus for us. I mentioned before navigator and the and the the adoption that we're getting there, really excited about a pacing optimizer that we're building right now. Um, so that you know, today it takes some work to go in and set up market scenarios and try different things. The 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 effort going forward is to you know leverage data driven recommendations for pacing and client capital commitments um, based on strategic targets, return assumptions, cash flow scenarios. So that's something that we're really excited about. Um, one of the one of the the other things that I think is going to transform sort of the way people use the platform. We're also building out a dashboard capability. So you can imagine today, you can come in and interrogate your data any which way you want, but for a lot of people, they're gonna come in and they're gonna run the same things every day. So why not instead realize that as a professional, and and it's not just an advisor, it's persona specific. So you could be a CIO, you could be an advisor, you could be an operations person, but basically having a dashboard that you can see when you first come in to Adapar to be able to just answer all the common questions that you ask every day. And then with, you know, links to next step workflows. So an example that might be, I'm an advisor, I come in and I can see all of my client portfolios that have drifted too far from their asset allocation model, click here to go and rebalance. And that way, you know, it's serving up information that I need to know, that I didn't have to think to ask it's saving me time because all of this stuff is scheduled. So when I come in, your dashboard is immediate. You're not waiting, like sitting there looking at spinners. And then we can hold your hand to how do I do this on out So you don't need some big uh, learning curve as far as that's concerned. And then the other thing we're excited about that is if you think about a dashboard and it's got widgets on it, if you want to, that's what we call them. Um, those don't only have to be Adapar widgets, so that'll include third-party widgets as well. So for all of our sort of partners that we have, being able to take little applets um, or data that we're getting from them and making that available means we're 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 still true to our open platform concept. And I don't want to have to do everything. Instead, as we try to surface this view for our end user. It's you know it's the totality of everything that they use across their stack. And then the last thing is that dashboard capability will not only benefit the advisors or the ops or the our direct users, it'll also um, impact the end investor because the advisor will be able to create dashboards that they can publish through the portal. So we're super excited about that. Um, and that's going to start landing uh, in the next month or two.
0: So we're going to need to do a follow-up episode then with videos so I can get a demo of this because this whole modular experience sounds really exciting. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And on the demo front, I mean, one of the other things we are working on, uh, on, because we have a big investment into user experience as well, um, we are sort of working on and implementing a new visual signature that will like massively upgrade just the overall aesthetic, which, you know, going back to the earlier thing, just about expectations, you know, I think uh, the best example is Apple, right? They they make oh, yeah. products that are beautiful. People expect this now. So we're certainly continuing to invest in that because Atapar is a premium product. Our clients are premium firms and they obviously, you know, their end clients expect a premium experience.
0: Oh, absolutely. Well, Don, I appreciate you giving us a true kind of under the hood look at all things Adipar, but I do want to dive into segment two of this episode, which I call Ask Us Anything, where I've gone out to the social universe and asked them to submit questions they want answered by you. And we had a few folks drop into the DMs this week. And one of the questions we got was, are there any trends that adipar is watching closely, like AI, perhaps?
1: So the short answer is yes. I'll preface this with I'm I'm generally pretty skeptical on you know the, the the most recent fad of the day or whatever is getting all the attention. Um, AI is sort of a notable exception as far as that's mm-hmm. concerned. I'll also say though, I mean AI is not new; um, it's been around for a long time. I think the most recent version, generative, where it's you know, sort of conversational, for sure. So yeah, we we see a bunch of different possibilities for that. Um, something as simple as a, you know, a AI trained chat bot, because, you know, we put a lot of investment into our help center, as we call it our, you know, where our clients can go and sort of answer their own questions. But I do think it'd be a much better user experience to just type the question that you have and get, you know, here's a set of steps as to how you do that on Atapar. I think it taking it a step further, um, I see a possibility where when people come in to create, I said before, it's like you can slice and dice the data, whichever way you want. Um, you know, you need to know how to go in and add columns and group things and and whatnot and create what we call analysis views. But I think it's absolutely doable for someone to come in and just type out in English or eventually in another language. Uh, what they want in that analysis view and just have it constructed for me. And then I don't, it just greatly, not only lessens the time it would take you to do that, but one of the other things I always think of is the last thing I want is to, for someone to feel the need to put Adapar on their resume as a skill. Um, You know, from a UX perspective, that's probably not what you're after. So being able to leverage, um, some of the, the the newer possibilities AI, particularly, to be able to make working with and using our product as you know as accessible as you want, without having to know how to do it or have the power user. Um, you know, I'm sure our Ada Pro users will still be a you know a special class that know how to do sure. <laughs> very sophisticated things. But you know, if we can use that to bring down the um, the learning curve, and I think we can. Um, you know, that's, that's certainly one area that we're looking at very closely. And then I guess just, um, another, uh, one of the other things is because, uh, you know, we are very much a data platform then for a lot of our clients, they, we have conversations about data warehouses, um, their data warehouses. I think there's a lot of possibilities, um, to be able to transmit and transfer data between, our platform and our client's platform, or not having to because they can actually just leverage um, our platform. So again, the AI example is an interesting one. Um, One of the things that we released recently is what we call our sandbox offering. And the, the primary use case of the sandbox offering is for our clients to be able to test out new integrations or changes in ownership structure or other things that you don't wanna be messing around in your production environment you want a safe place to do it. So that's what our sandbox environment is for. But that sandbox is a full production replica. So all of your data is there. And so we also see a capability that we can augment those sandboxes with off the the shelf AI tools, so that if developers or data scientists at our clients want to be able to interrogate all of their data on Adipar and apply AI to it, that we can actually provide the tooling for those that have the level of technical sophistication that they want to do it themselves. And then the last thing I'll add on that is not all of our clients have that technical sophistication. So, right. you know, one of the other things that we're putting some investment into is what we call a devless API experience, where we have a very robust suite of APIs for getting data out of Adipar and pushing data into Adipar. But that assumes that you have the technical acumen and, and and staff to be able to do that. So we are also investing in sort of a, a lightweight UI that sits on top of our APIs that has scheduling and lightweight orchestration capabilities. That way, if clients want to be able to extract data en masse from our platform, and many of them do, because they then want to send that downstream or upstream to other processes You'll be able to do that, and you don't require you know programming capabilities to be able to achieve that.
0: Well, appreciate all of that context. And we did have one more question for this segment before we move on. Adapar obviously has a global reach now, so you know, from a product perspective, you know, what are some of the challenges and opportunities operating in different markets now?
1: Well, opportunities for one you really want to be operating east of your clients right so for us um and i think it's i think it's worth noting our first office that we opened outside the us is an r&d office and i mentioned that because you know i mentioned in my prior plays um the first office for most companies would be a sales office so we are very much an r&d first organization so when we set up in Edinburgh, not only were we setting up there to build new products and everything, but we also have a very significant operations um, group there. So they're largely then responsible for getting data ready for the US open. Um, Similarly, we opened up in Pune because we did open an office in London. So now they are east of our clients in Europe, and then they can operate on data while everyone is sleeping, and then everything is ready to go in the morning. So We are working towards a global 24-hour follow the sun model. So at some point, we will extend further east, but um, Pune just opened in January, so we'll get that going first. So that's been a fantastic opportunity for us, not to mention the fact that we've been able to hire amazing talent in those markets. Um, We have 75 people right now in Edinburgh. That'll be 100 by the end of the year um will be at least 100 in pune by the end of the year as well so being able to attract talent globally um is obviously fantastic from everyone's perspective um you know then in terms of like in terms of challenges i suppose one of the things and we're actively working on it now is a subset of clients outside the us will have provisions that their data and especially the pii data can't travel outside of you know Europe or a certain country it depends on the jurisdiction. Um, today all of our um, we're a cloud um, all cloud uh, AWS shop today we're set up in the US but we are very actively working on hosting in uh in Europe and our first um, European hosted instance will be in uh in Ireland uh, and then we will continue to move that so, From a challenge perspective, when Adipar was first built and it's 14 years old, there's certainly a lot of assumptions that engineer has made that like there's only one, right? So we had to go through and break all those assumptions and change them because now you're going to have instances of Adipar all over the world. So, but that work is very much in flight. Um, We're the the first, uh, we'll start to bring our first clients onto that infrastructure later this year. Um, you know, and then all the other challenges that come along with it, I mean, you'll always run into, um, it's, it's probably especially true when it comes to market data, right? You'll have different data sets that, you know, we need to have um, to service a client in the UK or in Switzerland. So we're also uh, aggressively building out our market data footprint to be able to deal with that. And then, you know, you're always going to end up with some degree of localization as well. You know, so the ability to support different languages and whatnot, which we already do to some extent, but that that's going to end up being, uh, you know, an increasing focus for us as we continue to move outside the U.S. But it is worth noting, though, that we do have clients in 42 countries already. So we have plenty of people that were using Adapar long before we started to focus on these individual on these local needs, which Mm -hmm. I actually think speaks really well of the value that the, that the platform offers. Cause when you're getting value out of it and we haven't even done those things yet, then imagine how much better it's going to be.
0: Oh, absolutely. Well, I appreciate you being put on the spot and in your insightful ans- answers, but we have come to our final segment, which is my favorite that I call stack it or whack it. And this is where I throw out a few concepts or technologies and it's not always well tech related so be warned and you tell me if they are essentially worth the hype or not so stack it or whack it And um, admittedly, I did a little bit of LinkedIn stalking and saw that you're from Connecticut. And I'm originally from there too. And before I moved to Colorado, I was in Easton. So, you know, right next door. And I spent a lot of time in Fairfield. So I have to ask then, Raleigh's or Super Duper Weenie? Who's the winner here? Stack one, whack both, none, all of it. What are your thoughts?
1: (laughs) So my my answer is Super Duper Weenie. but, But what I have to preface that with is, that's uh, my kids would would uh, would say super duper weenie um, if if because I personally haven't uh, haven't tried either of them, but uh, quite popular with my kids. Uh, I'm probably more of a A&S ribs kind of guy uh, if I had to choose something locally. But um, both very good, though, from what I from what I understand, I, I don't think that it's uh, I don't think that one is significantly better than the other, as I'm told.
0: So, so stack super duper weedy by proxy. You <laughs> Got go. it. Yeah. There we yeah. go. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, Don, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Again, really appreciate our insights around Adapar and what you're working on and how you see the landscape. So please feel free to tell listeners where they can find out more about how to connect with you and what's ultimately going on at Adapar.
1: Uh, so for those that want to get in touch with me, you can always find me on LinkedIn and, and DM me anytime. Uh, And I'm happy to connect that way.
0: And you can, of course, reach out to us on our website. So,
1: all right. Well, you know, in addition to, you know, DMing me, do, uh, you know, Adapar is very active in terms of our social media presence. So we're uh, regular posters on LinkedIn and on Twitter. So you can follow uh, all things Adapar on those. And uh, we do also have an Adapar blog that you can find on our website. Um, So I would invite you to go and take a look at that as well.
0: Fantastic. And be sure to like and subscribe to the Wealth Stack podcast on all major podcasting platforms and follow all things Wealth Stack on wealthmanagement.com, LinkedIn and Twitter. So thank you all for tuning in.